What's going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome back to the show. It's time for another brand new episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I'm Andrew for America. How you guys feeling about America these days? You feeling good about it? Feel like feel like there's a bright future for our great nation? Do you feel proud to be an American? Where at least you know you're free? <laughs> Are you free? What's freedom mean to you? Do you need a daddy to take care of you for your entire life? Has it ever occurred to you that you might have to be a self-sufficient person if you want to live in a free society? Those that would trade their liberty for security deserve neither liberty nor security. You don't deserve to be safe in your little sheltered fairy tales and make-believe bullshit world just because you don't want to participate in the real world. Or do you? Maybe you do get to hide away from reality, live a life in a fictitious fantasy world provided to you by the powers that be, the people that run this place. Do you want to be a do-it-yourselfer, a DIYer? Would you rather build something rather than buy something that you need? Would you rather hunt and fish for something rather than go buy it at a supermarket? Would you rather build your own house instead of having to take out a loan to buy a house? What kind of person do you want to be here in the 21st century? In a previous podcast, I brought up the topic of morality versus legality. Is, or rather, I'm sorry, are things that are moral, depending on your interpretation of what morality is, equal to legality? And what the rule of law states, the laws on the books, the precedents that have been set by those that came before you and that every lawyer refers to when interpreting the law and justice and truth and morality, some would say. But I'm going to respectfully disagree. I don't think what's moral to me equals what is legal. I think that too many unnecessary laws weaken the necessary laws. And if we were fully developed, adult, mature, connected, aware, self-sufficient citizens living, breathing, building, and prospering in a free society, then guess what? We wouldn't need all of these unnecessary laws. And why do we have so many unnecessary laws? When did the police and the legal system, the judges, the courts, the lawyers, get to have so much power over each and every one of our lives. 
Have you noticed that lately? My fellow Americans, how many of you remember a time where the police were very respected in the community? How many of you remember a time when you had faith in the members and the pillars of your community? There was a sense of community where everybody congregated and associated and became friends and developed relationships. That's going away. And part of the reason why it's going away is because (laughs) a lot of people are getting arrested these days for absolute garbage, horseshit, ridiculous, unnecessary reasons. Getting arrested for the dumbest shit. The states are picking up charges against people when there are disputes among citizens. Let's say someone doesn't want to press charges over an altercation that occurred between the two of them. Guess what? The state can still pick that up and still prosecute you. We also have civil asset forfeiture. where If they want to, they can just take your cash. You got valuables in the car and you got priors. When did we allow the state, the police state, to become so powerful in this country? Do you think that the laws that we have on the books are moral, in your opinion? What does morality mean to you? What does legality and what should be legal or illegal mean to you? How many laws do we really need? In a previous podcast, I shared a quote, and I finally figured out who said it, and I'm about to tell you here in a second, but here we go. Dying societies accumulate laws like a dying man accumulates remedies. That quote my fellow Americans, is by a gentleman named Nicholas Gomez Davila, who was a Colombian writer and thinker, considered one of the most intransigent political theoreticians of the 20th century. He became known during the last few years of his life, particularly through German translations of his works. Gomez de Vila was one of the most radical critics of modernity. His work consists almost entirely of aphorisms he called escolios, which means glosses or annotations in Spanish. And I suggest you go check that guy out. If you're a thinking person... This guy had some interesting ideas. Davila, Gomez Davila, I'm sorry, was born 18 May 1913. And he died a day before his birthday, 17 May 1994. So not too long ago. Um... So yeah, I wanted to run that by it because that's going to be the theme for today, people. I want to talk about what's moral and what's legal. And I don't know, (laughs) you know, I don't know how often you people think about stuff like this. But I'm telling you, we better start thinking about it a lot more. If we want to change this country, 
for the better, we better start paying a lot more attention to what these politicians have done behind our backs, stuff they've snuck into bills that have been passed. Slowly but surely, slow usurpations over time. A few more laws here, a few more regulations there, a few more handcuffs on you here, a few more ball and chains attached and locked to your ankles over here. Pretty soon they're just going to draw and quarter us, people. How many laws do we really need? And are the laws that we have on the books actually helping or hurting? Are they having the intended results for justice and truth and making people's lives better and not worse? Do the punishments fit the crimes? And I know a lot of this stuff is probably shocking content already. I, I haven't even got to the bulk of the podcast today, people. Because I started thinking about this because of some recent events that I've witnessed and experienced. And like I said, I'm gonna. some of it pertains to me and my personal life. And I told you guys I was going to talk about it in a future episode. And I will. But before I get to that story and those stories... I want to plant these seeds in your minds. I want to provoke thought within you. I want my listeners to start thinking about what is moral versus what is legal. And a good way to do that, people, is to start looking at the laws on the books. Have you ever wondered if you get arrested for DUI? or, you know, uh, assault and battery, or robbery, or murder, whatever, right? The punishment should fit the crime, right? Well, who decides the severity of the crime? And is crime sometimes moral? That's where I'm going with this argument and with this conversation. Is there a chance that some acts that are illegal and could result in criminal charges being brought against you actually moral acts regardless of whether or not they are legal in some said theoretical society. I'm going to take a break and collect my thoughts because I'm really passionate people about this topic. More so now than I was before. And I was pretty passionate about it before recent events that have occurred in my life. But I'm really going to get into this stuff now. In a previous podcast, I told you guys we're going back to basics. We're going to re-educate ourselves on this show. In the upcoming shows, in the upcoming episodes. We're going to bring it back to basics. We're going to learn this simple, fundamental Concepts, fundamentals, repetition. When I come back, I'm going to tell you guys a little story about Governor of the State of South Dakota, Christy Nome, and one of her recent decisions regarding something that a lot of you feel is maybe moral or immoral, and maybe should be legal or illegal when we get back. 
welcome back. So take a listen to this. I'm going to read this little uh, recent article I just saw about, uh, what's her name? Christy Noam, the governor of the state of South Dakota. South Dakota Governor Noam vetoes marijuana expungement bill calls it bad precedent for the criminal justice system. In February, the South Dakota Senate approved bills to legalize and tax marijuana as well as provide for expungement for low-level cannabis offenses. So what does that mean? That means that this bill that was going to approve and legalize and tax the growing and use of marijuana as well as provide for expungement for low-level cannabis offenses. Seems logical, right? Seems rational. Some would say it seems moral to expunge low-level cannabis offenders that have been convicted of low-level cannabis, you know, growing or use or selling whatever crimes... If the state's going to legalize and tax and allow the use, why would you not expunge and give freedom back to those people who are in jail or serving, um, you know, probation or whatever, had to pay fines, whatever it is, it's on their uh, permanent record and shows up on background checks, right? That can affect somebody's ability to get a job. Everybody does background checks nowadays. So why would you not want to get rid of that? If you're going to legalize the crime that was once committed. Because that's what's happening. The bill was to legalize what was once a crime. So can you imagine how you would feel if you were serving jail time or had to pay fines and, you know, had to serve some type of community service or they sent you to the workhouse or whatever it is, right? Just because at one time your actions were considered quote unquote illegal and subject to the wrath of the police state. So my opinion is, of course you should expunge. Of course you should. It is morally correct. But guess what Christy Noam did? About a month later, after the, this bill was approved to legalize and tax marijuana and provide for the expungement for low-level cannabis offenses, Governor Christy Noem used her veto to push the expungement legislation back to the Senate. So either she disagrees with it or she just didn't want to deal with it. Okay? That's what that means. The move comes on the heels of Noam signing legislation into law allowing qualified patients to home grow limited quantities of marijuana. The bill provides for automatic removal from a public background check for class 1 misdemeanors related to the use or possession of marijuana or any of its derivatives, Noam wrote in an official statement. It also essentially codifies a convicted person's ability to be dishonest about their previous arrest and conviction by not requiring disclosure of the prior drug conviction. Are you kidding me? 
Are you fucking kidding me? This bill is also retroactive, retroactive, which is bad precedent for criminal justice issues where, listen to this shit, fairness is paramount, Noam continued. Furthermore, even with the legalization of medical cannabis, there must remain consequences for using illegal drugs at a time when the use and possession of that drug, in this case marijuana, even for alleged medical purposes, the use and possession, listen, even at a time when the use and possession of marijuana for alleged medicinal purposes was illegal. What is she saying, people? Now it's legal because we made it legal, is what she's saying. And if you got in trouble for the use and sale of whatever, all things marijuana, when it was still a law on the books stating it was illegal, she's saying it sets a bad precedent for criminal justice. And pay attention to that phrase, criminal justice. It's almost an oxymoron. She's saying that the law, the rule of law, is more important than what's moral. That's what she's saying. Believe it or not. She's saying she doesn't think it's a moral act to expunge prior marijuana users and sellers and growers because when they were using selling and growing, it was a law on the books stating that it's illegal. Why does it set bad precedent? Why does it set a bad precedent to do what's moral? And I don't know, maybe that's just my humble opinion. If you're going to take a law and get rid of it or change it or alter it so that there are no criminal consequences, why would you not want to give those people their freedom back? Why would you not? <laughs> you know, are, is it because you want to save face? Oh, well, at the time, you know, we have to respect this no matter how it affects people because uh, it sets bad precedent. If we go back on what the law stated, uh, even though a bunch of people voted on it and then it got uh, put into a bill and passed as legislation, which means that the your constituents wanted something, you did the right thing, and it got voted for by a majority— and then it got passed into law because that's what people want. Representative government. So, dear Christy Noem, why do you think people who at one time got in trouble for marijuana charges, whatever they may be, shouldn't be let off the hook by the state, the police state? Because in your infinite wisdom... The powers that be voted to make something legal and make it no longer illegal. You think those punishments still fit the crime? I'm paying fines and serving jail time for doing something that just because you passed a law and made it legal to yesterday, that the guy that did exactly the same thing that I did has no fear of legal ramifications. No fear of consequences perpetrated by the brave new Orwellian surveillance police state order world. Totalitarian dictatorship. That's coming. If you are a resident of the state of South Dakota, 
I know a lot of right-wingers out there love them, some Christy Noem boy. Oh, my God. Second Amendment advocate, supporter of freedom, right? Supporter of America, right? But guess what? If you got in trouble for weed, even though weed is now legal, you can go fuck yourself. That's what Christy Noem's telling you. You really think she's supporting freedom? Is there an anti-marijuana campaign within the big business community that she might be in the pocket of? People, these politicians, doesn't matter if they're left-wingers or right-wingers. They talk out of the side of their mouths. They do the complete opposite of what they profess that they are going to do. They collude and they conspire. They lie and they cheat and they steal. They are just as criminal as the people they rule over. Are they cut from a different cloth than the rest of us? Just because they hold positions of power? With great power comes great responsibility, right? I think that comes from the Spider-Man movies. (laughs) But it's a good message. With great power comes great responsibility. And if the powers that be, our representatives, our elected government officials, if the day ever comes where these human beings that are just like you and me, just like each and every one of us, these people that we put up on a pedestal and we look to as our God, our Father, our Savior, our benevolent overlord that we are slaves to when you break it down. You people think slavery ended with the civil rights and the, you know, the civil rights movement? Nah, people. Slavery has never gone away. Never. There has always been slavery in this world in varying forms and degrees. How you define slavery obviously varies from person to person, I would imagine. But I'm starting to think that this government, this police state, the only way they know how to deal with you is to put you in the ground or put you behind bars. Because they've lost their sense of truth, justice, and the American way. They've lost their sense of tolerance and their ability to exercise restraint and to err on the side of freedom rather than consequences. State power. Great power With great power comes great responsibility. And if you aren't a responsible wielder of the power that you hold, tyranny is not that far away, my fellow Americans. Do you know what I'm saying? Am I making sense to you? You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about something called the writ of habeas corpus. What does that mean, you may ask? What's a writ of habeas corpus? Well, once upon a time, one of the books, oh, one of the books, one of the laws on the books, rather, was a writ of habeas corpus from medieval Latin, which means you may have the body. And, but with regard to the law, we, a court, command that you have the body of a detainee brought before us. So, pretty much what that means is that you are a sovereign individual, but with regard to the rule of law, a court can command you that you have the body of a detainee brought before us. This is a recourse in law through which a person can report an unlawful detention or imprisonment 
to a court and request that the court order the custodian of the person, usually a prison official, to bring the prisoner to court to determine whether the detention is lawful. Okay? So, once upon a time, you could you could say that, let's say you got arrested for something, and there was no witness, and there was no evidence, but they still just arrested you, and they threw you in the tank, and, uh, you know, depending on how long they held you for, let's say they held you for longer than what was legally, uh, than they legally were allowed to, you have a case now, uh, you can, you know, your lawyer can file a writ of habeas corpus, and then a court gets to listen to your case and listen to your situation and see if you were lawfully or unlawfully detained, okay? So that's what that means. The writ of habeas corpus was described in the 18th century by William Blackstone as a great and efficacious writ in all manner of illegal confinement. It is a summons with the force of a court order. It is addressed to the custodian, usually a prison official, and demands that a prisoner be brought before the court and that the custodian present proof of authority, allowing the court to determine whether the custodian has lawful authority to detain the prisoner. Okay? If the custodian is acting beyond their authority, then the prisoner must be released. Any prisoner or another person acting on their behalf may petition the court or a judge for a writ of habeas corpus. One reason for the writ to be sought by a person other than the prisoner is that the detainee might be held incommunicado, otherwise known as solitary confinement, and had no access to contact anybody, right? Most civil law jurisdictions provide a similar remedy for those unlawfully detained. But this is not always called habeas corpus. For example, in some Spanish-speaking nations, the equivalent remedy for unlawful imprisonment is the amparo de libertad, which means protection of freedom. Habeas corpus has certain limitations. Though a writ of right, it is not a writ of course. What that means is it is technically only a procedural remedy. It is a guarantee against any detention that is forbidden by law. But it does not necessarily protect other rights, such as the entitlement to a fair trial, which is due process, and we're going to talk about that later. So if an imposition such as internment without trial is permitted by the law, then habeas corpus may not be a useful remedy. And that's what I mean when I say once upon a time there was this thing called the writ of habeas corpus. And the writ of habeas corpus has gone away now, my fellow Americans, because of a little piece of legislation we all lovingly know as the Patriot Act. Mm-hmm. So if, if an imposition such as internment without trial is permitted by law, the habeas corpus may not be a useful remedy. In some countries, the writ has been temporarily or permanently suspended under the pretext of, listen up, a war or state of emergency. And the precedent for that was set, sadly, by Abraham Lincoln during the American Civil War. Go look up the Habeas Corpus Suspension Act of 1863. Okay? This is important stuff, people. The usurping of laws by legislation and by political will. Slowly but surely, slow usurpations over time, taking your freedoms away from you. And the proof that this has been happening in this country for many, many years now is because you have elders 
who walk amongst you, baby boomers. And today, even we Gen Xers, Xennials, and you know, honestly, even some of the millennials that are coming up behind us have had experiences in their lives. And chronologically speaking, what once upon a time was the way it was, the status quo, right? The law of the land has slowly but surely changed and metamorphosized into we, the people, having less and less and less and less freedoms than we once enjoyed. And if you don't think that this is happening and has been happening, you probably need to wake up. (laughs) The writ of habeas corpus is one of what are called the extraordinary common law or prerogative writs, which were historically issued by the English courts in the name of the monarch to control inferior courts and public authorities within the kingdom. The most common of the other such prerogative writs are quo warento, prohibito, mandamus, procedendo, and certiorari. All Latin words that I don't know what they mean, but you can go look them up. This is, I'm just reading this off of Wikipedia, people. The due process for such petitions is not simply civil or criminal because the... In- They incorporate the presumption of (laughs) non-authority. The official who is the respondent must prove their authority to do or not do something. Failing this, the court must decide for the petitioner, who may be any person, not just an interested party. This differs from a motion in the civil process in which the movent must have standing and bears the burden of proof. Hmm, the burden of proof. If a law enforcement official can arrest you and detain you for any period of time here in modern day 2022, the 21st century, then there's got to be a reason for that, right? And what's that reason? Can you still file a writ of habeas corpus if you feel that you're being unlawfully detained? No, you can't. So, if you have a family member, or if you yourself were alive at a time when the Patriot Act was passed, or any other legislation that usurps freedoms for the individual, Where were you? Did you vote for it? Did you support it? Or did you even know something bad was happening? Were you paying attention? Are we paying attention to what our government and our legal system and these lawyers and these judges are doing? How can we have faith in a system to do what's right and what's moral and what's just and to seek truth if we're not even paying attention, if we're not even monitoring them, if we're not even watching, being vigilant about what they are doing? People, if you want to live in a free society, you got to participate. Or else, slowly but surely, a small group of immoral, rich, wealthy, powerful people are going to collude and conspire so that they can get away with murder and accumulate more resources while you, peon, peasant, plebes, proles, 
get to serve all the jail time and pay all the taxes and fund this government and these legal criminal systems. They're making a killing off of these laws. And I would make the argument that it's really not about justice and seeking the truth anymore. It's about processing you through the system so that we can monitor and track you. We can get you into the database. We can get your fingerprints taken. We can bleed you of some money. And if you're smart enough to get a good lawyer, maybe your punishment, maybe your consequences won't end up being so severe. But I don't know, people. Where's freedom in this scenario? Why are we not erring on the side of giving people more freedom if they are wrongly convicted or if they are wrongly um, accused or if they're unlawfully detained? Is it moral for the police to be able to take your shit if they arrest you? Civil asset forfeiture. Somebody voted on that and passed that law for whatever reason. Where were you at on that, my fellow Americans? Lulled to sleep in some fictitious fantasy world dream state? Sitting on your couch, letting the cable TV wash over you? Just waves on the ocean, right? Lulling you to sleep. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. You're in good hands. We're your benevolent overlord leaders. And we are to be obeyed. We are to be listened to. You are to comply. What is freedom to you? What does individual sovereignty mean to you? I really want you people to start thinking about these concepts because <laughs> this country is in decline. We're headed to a new dark age. And there ain't no stopping that train if we don't get smart. People, Ron Paul was right. Remember when Ron Paul said, all we have to do in this government to reverse these policies and reverse these damaging, destructive trends, this overuse of power and control is to follow the Constitution. And you know what's been happening in this country for many, many years now? Each one of those amendments in the Bill of Rights of the Constitution have slowly but surely one by one been usurped. Noam Chomsky has a book called Hegemony or Survival. And I want to recommend that you all go pick up that book and thumb through it a little bit. He talks about the George W. Bush administration's foreign policy. He talks about the Patriot Act and the Persian Gulf Wars. Amongst many, many other things. It's probably one of my favorite books by Chomsky. Because he isn't so idealistic in that book. He's actually probably the most realistic aside from his manufacturing consent stuff. 
than he's ever been in his writings, in my humble opinion. I think I, I think the most respect I have uh, gained, I guess, whatever, acquired for Noam Chomsky came from when I read that book. He has a lot of really, really good points in that book. I don't know, people. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know where we're going. I want to have faith in these elected officials. I want to feel like they're not just puppets being, you know, the strings being pulled by the uber wealthy. (laughs) You know, the uber, uh, the people that uh, run the companies that own the companies that own other companies that also own other companies that are under the umbrella of some conglomerate. I think in a previous podcast, I told you guys that 60 people represent 95% of global GDP. 60 people. You think that's a bullshit claim? Do you think that that's just conspiracy theory? Go do some research, see if that's true. While we have been lulled to sleep, manipulated, propagandized, exploited, etc., there has been a concerted effort amongst the rich and powerful of this country and this world to take over, to Acquire total control. We shall have world government whether or not we like it. The only question is, will it be achieved by conquest or consent? James Warburg, remember that? Why do you think I talk about media manipulation and propaganda so much, people? Why? There's a reason. Because it is the weapon of the aristocracy, of the new bourgeoisie, in the words of Alexis de Tocqueville. Remember? One of the reasons why democracy would fall, in Tocqueville's view, was because there is the possibility of the rise of a new bourgeoisie. George Soros. Bill Gates. Etc. Right? Remember in the words of George Carlin, the real owners of this world. And of this country. The big, wealthy business interests that pull all the strings and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to make you think that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have owners. They own you. They've lawn. They own everything. They've long since paid for, bought and paid for the Congress, the city halls, the state houses. They got the judges in their back pocket and they control all the media companies so they control all the news and information you get to hear. They got us by the balls. You better turn off that fucking TV and you better wake up the fuck up or else we are fucked as a nation and as a society and whose fault will it be if this country falls if we waste 
the blood of patriots that came before us who have given us the opportunity to enjoy the freedoms that we once enjoyed and that we do still enjoy, of course, to an extent. But it ain't the same as it was post-World War II. That's for sure. The sole breadwinner family is a thing of the past. Your grandparents probably talked about something called the dime store in their day. When I grew up, there was a Ben Franklin dime store in my town. That's going away. That's long since gone. And then we graduated into Dollar, uh, Dollar General and Dollar Tree and the 99 cent store. That's going away because of inflation, of course. And the mass printing of money. And if the government can print all this money, why do we pay taxes? <laughs> eh, but that's all another conversation for a future episode. People, I love you guys. We're going to get through this. We're going to figure it out. One by one, people are waking up. And I hope those of us that are waking up are considering teaching others. And don't do it for a paycheck. Do it for posterity. And maybe, just maybe, we can leave this world in a better place than it was when we arrived in this world. In the next uh, episode, or maybe a couple episodes away, I don't know when I'm going to do it, uh, but in the future, I'm going to talk about due process and civil asset forfeiture. Where, where did that come from? And we're going to get into what these concepts mean what they once were and what they once represented for the sovereign individual and how they have changed or maybe even gone away over the years. People, thank you for listening. Let's move on for today. And let's go listen to some punk rock. people it's time to play some punk rock but before we play some punk rock uh i did want to clarify something i said earlier earlier i said that uh you cannot file a writ of habeas corpus anymore that is incorrect actually i mean you can still file it it's still a law on the books but your ability to exercise that is definitely hindered with the patriot act and definitely in the post-COVID state of emergency, quote-unquote, world that we live in. Remember, your rights can be suspended under two conditions, state of emergency or war, right? So take a listen to this. Here's a little article. Uh, this is from No More War. Uh, and this talks about habeas corpus. Why is it so relevant right now? And this is from two years ago. Um, when the George Floyd uh, situation happened, Black Lives Matter protests followed. Uh, and this was written by Sarah Osei. And I wanted to further clarify this whole habeas corpus, why it's important and why uh, it is a right that can be suspended and that you don't get anymore. Okay. In response to widespread George Floyd protests this week, and this is from two years ago, a New York State Supreme Court judge has suspended the right of, of habeas corpus, which requires the government to justify the detention of a person before a court. Uh, 
This means hundreds of New Yorkers can be detained indefinitely, albeit unlawfully, okay? So this is an interesting story about what happened in New York State. They have an interesting, uh, I think it's a 24-hour detention or arrest to arraignment. So they don't hold you for very long at all. Uh, But anyway, take a listen to this. What is habeas corpus? We've been over it. It's uh, recourse in law challenging the reasons or conditions of a person's detainment. A writ of habeas corpus is used to bring a prisoner or other detainee before the court to determine if the person's imprisonment or detention is lawful. Okay, so we've been over that. This means that you have the right to be released from imprisonment after an unlawful arrest. In New York, the period from arrest to arraignment cannot exceed 24 hours. Okay, so they got to have a lot of evidence that they're sure that they can prosecute and convict on within a 24 hour period of time. So think about that. That's probably nearly impossible. And I don't even know if I believe that, because if that was the case, you'd have a lot less people getting arrested uh, or, or, you know, getting into the legal justice system. Right. So why now? On Thursday night, New York City Criminal Court Judge James Burke, this is from two years ago, remember, to requ- uh, agreed to a request by the New York, New York City Police Department to allow for the detention of anyone arrested in the Bronx, Brooklyn, and Manhattan without criminal charges longer than the 24-hour maximum mandated by state law. And why was that? Quote, It is a crisis within a crisis, unquote, the judge wrote in his ruling. All writs are denied. He justified his decision on the basis of the current pandemic, which means law-mandated court hearings for arrests will have to be delayed because we are in a uh, crisis caused by the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic, which prevents live arraignments, which in turn causes virtual arraignments. Legally, Burke's ruling implies that the uh, the NYPD has been given the green light to indefinitely detain both criminal looters and peaceful protesters who violate New York City's recently established curfew. And then the, the author asks the question, is this legal? No. As habeas corpus is enshrined in the U.S. Constitution, its suspension is unconstitutional. Historically, suspension has only ever been invoked in times of war. Representative AOC has also spoken out against Justice Burke's ruling in a tweet. She said, Civil liberties protect ourselves from governments using crises and emergencies as justification to dismantle our rights wrote Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, if you can believe it or not. I definitely agree with her in this specific case. This is suspension of habeas corpus. It is unconstitutional, and it is deeply disturbing that both NYPD is seeking it and a judge rubber-stamped it. The Legal Aid Society, a nonprofit organization, has sued or did sue the NYPD over the prolonged detention of protesters accusing the department of violating New York's 24-hour arrest to arraignment requirement. According to Marlon Baden of the LAS, Justice Burke's argument for delayed arraignments is not valid. The NYPD has no excuses. With its 38,000 police officers and the best technology in the world, with all the money they are being given, said Baden. They have no excuse to not process them in a timely manner. As of Thursday, LAS confirmed over 160 New Yorkers citywide remain in custody 24 hours after their arrest. Several legal experts have weighed in on the situation and criticized the judge's ruling as a constitutional violation. And then she posts a bunch of uh, tweets by lawyers and judges who are Uh, denouncing this action. So I'm not going to bore you with any more of that, people. I just wanted to read that to you because it clearly illustrates my point today. What's moral and what's morally right and what's morally correct is not always what is legal. Sometimes moral acts 
are illegal as well. With the wielding of a pen on a piece of paper by an official who holds power, they can change the game. They can suspend your rights, suspend the Constitution under the you know guise or auspice or whatever of oh we're we're in a war we're trying to win this war we're in a state of emergency it's 1984 george l orwell's book come to life people today i'm going to play the last song by my old band nonprofit. I've been featuring my old band nonprofit's music for quite some time now. And this is it. You guys are finally going to get to hear to uh, get to stop hearing my band after this episode today. <laughs> if you haven't liked my music and you're like, "God, when is this guy going to play some other punk rock?" Jesus. Just sucking his own cock with his playing his own band, jerking himself off on his podcast. <laughs> right? No, but seriously, people, uh, I wanted to feature my band just to get it out of the way and uh, hopefully maybe interest some of you in my music. Uh, Who knows what kind of effect this is having. Uh, My listenership has been good, so maybe you guys like it, maybe you don't. But uh, for those of you that don't, don't worry. Today is the last day. This is the last song. This is the last song uh, chronologically also on my old band nonprofits demo that came out in 2006. And this song is called Independence Day. And I want to read the lyrics to you right now. Here we go. Forget about conviction when you're searching for an answer. Because the answer you may never understand. We dream about the promised land. Yet no one ever lifts a hand to help a fellow man. What do you have to say for yourself? You live your life for someone else. I know, yes, I know. With every single breath you take, you smell the truth of your mistakes. You know, yes, you know. Overworked and underpaid from the cradle to the grave. How much sense does it make? Is anybody listening? Does anybody see the same shit I keep seeing every day? I see a thousand people with a thousand different names, a thousand paths to choose from, but they all end up the same. We're all together raising our fists, trying to make sense of this, can't do it on our own. And then there's that long uh, breakdown part. Uh, We played this song last when we played live. Uh, And this was kind of our big finale song. And we dragged uh, the breakdown part out for longer and said a bunch of cool stuff and, you know, thanked everyone for coming, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. So that's it. I like those lyrics a lot. This song I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, And I hope you guys enjoy it. So here we go. The final, the last and final nonprofit song by yours truly, Andrew for America and his old band nonprofit. And then we're going to move on from my stuff. And we're going to go back to other good, awesome punk rock bands. Okay, so here we go. Here's the song Independence Day. By my old band Nonprofit.
Thank you so much for listening. Go to the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Buy a t-shirt or donate to the show. Send me an email if you like, andrew4america1984 at gmail.com. Thank you. Good night. We'll see you next time. This has been episode 91 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast, entitled Moral vs. Legal. We'll see you next time.